Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Roziel, and this is the show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, we get to talk about everything in between. If you are watching on YouTube, click subscribe or like or whatever. If you're listening to the podcast, five-star review, wherever you're listening, you know what you're supposed to do. So I'm just graciously asking <laughs> if you could do it. I would really appreciate that. Today, my incredible guest, I have Alex Sinatra, and actually... Sinatra, there is some relation there. CEO and founder of Your Potential for Everything Sports Attorney and Consultant. Alex, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I love doing these types of talks. I love podcasts. So let's talk about business and sport. Right? Let's talk about <laughs> it. Obviously, you have your own podcast. We'll obviously get to all that. You're a writer. You're an author. What's up? Me too. Would you look at that? Uh, but we'll get to all that in a little bit. The first question, Alex. Yes. I literally have for everybody after like, hey, how's your day? Um, for the love of sports is, why do you love sports so much? I'm sure a lot of your guests say, you know, they were athletes for a long time. They've been in sports since they were little. They had family members that were in sport. That's all true for me as well. However, However. the reason that I love sport. The reason I wanted to stay in sport when I had other options to go into was because with sport, you are able to communicate across cultures without speaking the language. The language is sport. And for me, having come from indentured servants who emigrated from Italy to the United States and Russian refugees, I love being able to have a multicultural environment where I don't have to speak the actual language, but I can still communicate. And that's what sport has done for me. Everywhere I've ever traveled, everyone I've ever met has some connection to sport. And I love being able to communicate through sport. That is fantastic. And right on the uh, the cusp of the end of the Olympics, right? Which is yeah. the biggest international event every yeah. four years, essentially every two years yes. with the winter games as well. And I mean, that's kind of what that's for, right? Like hundred meters is a hundred meters in every single country. <laughs> Men or women racing it, they're going to run it and we could see who wins at the end. Right. So I think that that's really interesting. And I guess where like, I guess go into your background a little bit more because that's very clearly uh, the reason why you love sports so much. So you made it to where you are now. I guess, why is that so important to you, though? What is it about being able to communicate without speaking with other people in other countries from other backgrounds through sport that's so important to you? So my parents put a very big emphasis on being multicultural and having a very strong connection to where you come from, but also loving where you are as well. And for me, they really wanted me to travel and meet all sorts of different people. And so growing up, we had a seven foot guy from the Netherlands who played basketball in our house. We had guys from Nigeria, from Panama, who always came through because we would house them during their off seasons when they were playing at a college where I grew up mm -hmm. and they weren't able to go home. And so for me, I really recognized that the stereotypes that we have of other countries or other people don't necessarily apply to individuals, right? And so for me, the more that I was able to meet individuals from a diverse amount of countries and cultures, the more empathy I had in general. And so for me, the biases that we are sometimes inherently born with because of where we're born against certain people, groups, cultures, religions, sexual orientation, started to really be broken down. Like those, those inherent ones that you're kind of born with, those biases that you don't recognize, 
I started to recognize, wow, I think of this culture like this, that's probably not true. And so the more that I was able to interact with these different people, the more that I was able to connect with them on sport, the more that I found that we had way more similarities than we do differences. And it really helps me to connect and have empathy with a ton of different people, whether I'm working with someone at the law firm, whether I'm working with a client, whether I'm talking to uh, someone in another country and trying to piece together different pieces of languages to be able to communicate with them. That's kind of where the foundation is for me. And it just makes me feel like I'm being a much better global citizen when I am able to see the similarities amongst different people groups. And so yeah, provided that for me. Absolutely. And the differences amongst different people groups too, right? I'm sure that that's a really important thing. And it, it's really interesting you bring that up because I actually had a similar, let's call it discovery when I went to college. So I went to Rutgers University. So I came from a predominantly, um, you know, white mid-America, mid, upper middle class uh, background. Great people there, of course, but never really saw too much color, let's put it. So I actually ended up going to Rutgers University, which is one of the most diverse campuses in the United States. And was immediately thrown into a situation where I've never been before. I I was the only white kid in a room before, right? <laughs> I've never had that happen to me. I kind of liked it. Like, I kind of liked yeah. the different things that would come with that and really kind of trying to figure it out. And, and I completely agree with you by talking to people from other cultures. There were so many people from just different countries at that school, right? I'd walk through the quad, I'd hear Russian, Vietnamese, Korean, and Chinese literally in the span of 25 mm -hmm. steps. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And then luckily enough, I was able to befriend some of these people. And as you said, learn about their backgrounds, learn about their similarities, their differences, and really what makes different cultures different. And that was just such a fun experience for me for two years when I did that. And you had an even more interesting one with your parents. Specifically, it was centered around sports, right? Because these these students were coming from elsewhere. I mean, how, what, were, what were those relationships like? Like trying to learn those languages through <laughs> jump jump shot, right? And, and bounce yeah. pass. And like, what was it like trying to learn those, those just such fundamental things you know, attributes that you and I hold just in a completely different language, luckily through a means of communication that you were both able to speak. Yeah. So as you know, being someone who has friends from many different cultures, a lot of these other countries speak multiple languages. Yes. So they came here, they knew English well enough to communicate with me. So there awesome. was no barrier. I, however, grew up in a household and my parents grew up in a household where uh, English was the language you had to speak in order to not have an accent so that you could be given a fair shot in the United States. So my mother and my father, they speak very rudimentary Russian and very rudimentary Italian because their parents refused to speak those languages in the house because there were literal stipulations on, you know, Italians need not apply to this job. If you have an accent, do not apply. So my parents grew up in that type of culture in the United States. And for me, I speak English. And yes, I've studied Spanish for a long time. I speak Spanish fairly well. I can communicate. I speak Italian fairly well. I can communicate, right? But for me, these individuals came to the United States speaking Dutch and English and French or French and whatever dialect um, Alex spoke from Nigeria. I actually didn't even know to ask that because I was like seven years old. I was like, what language do you speak? He's like, well, let's speak English, <laughs> right? And then my friend from Panama, you know, he spoke Spanish. He spoke uh, some dialects from where he grew up in Panama and he spoke English. So for me, I was the odd woman out. 
I was the one that spoke one language. You know, they spoke two, three, four, however it may be. And a lot of these people speak multiple languages. So these athletes, the pro athletes or the collegiate athletes, they're coming here and they're speaking English and whatever their native languages are. One of my exes actually speaks six languages. He's a scout in the NBA. He speaks six languages. He grew up in Ethiopia and he grew up in a French school where he learned six languages at the same time, right? So we are the odd people out growing up in the United States, more or less. So for me, it also showed me that like, wow, there are people out there who are battling so many other things and they're still able to come here to a completely new culture and completely communicate with us. What a blessing to us. You know, what a blessing to me that they're like, no, Alex, we can speak English. I'm almost like, please don't, (laughs) please don't speak to me in whatever language is easiest for you so that I can learn. I don't want you to have to adapt your life and your culture to me. So that really humbled me a lot. I love that. Yeah. Seven, especially too. Just like, Hey, what language do you speak? Like, no, let's make this easy on both of us. And I think it's fitting. Anybody watching right now, you have Dirk Nowitzki's Jersey right behind you. The one of, if not the greatest international NBA player of all time. Right. So I think that that's, that is pretty cool. And he signed this for me, which is really nice as well. That's sweet. I don't have a, Oh, maybe, maybe you could ask him to send me one too. But anyway, (laughs) um, I appreciate, appreciate the offer, but not right now, Alex, not right now. So I guess I'm kind of curious more, more on the, the business and the career side. What was it about learning all these languages, meeting all these new people, why did this lead you? And I guess, how did this lead you into becoming a lawyer? Because I'm kind of curious. I want to connect a couple of those dots. I could probably talk to you for hours about, you know, (laughs) just from age seven to 21, but I'm kind of curious, how can we connect those dots to saying, hey, I want to become a lawyer. And most lawyers are bad people and you seem like such a good person. So I'm kind of Hey, also that's curious about stereotypes that's just not true stereotypes are a stereotype for a reason let's all be honest about that <laughs> one but anyway anyway yeah so for me in undergrad i did gymnastics i did club gymnastics there i had fractured my spine before mm-hmm. so division one college gymnastics was not for me but club was phenomenal Shout out Texas A&M University gymnastics team because we have actually some D1 recruits there as well. We have one of the predominantly most amazing preeminent facilities in the United States as well. And it's for a club team. So does the 12th man count for other sports too? I don't know how it works. I'll be honest. It does. Okay. That's pretty awesome. It's just a a mentality that you're willing to help people fight the Sell fact it. That you might not actually be on the team. Yeah. I love that. That yeah. is absolutely fantastic. Thank it's you. Amazing. So for me in undergrad, I had a lot of friends who were collegiate athletes. And honestly, a lot of my family were collegiate athletes, all the way from my grandparents down to my cousins. So for me, I always had sports around me. And I recognized that a lot of these men and women were not being represented well when they're going from college athletics to pro. And also, you know, now athletes can monetize their name, image, and likeness. Back then they could not, right? So they were basically starting from zero the second that they went from college to potentially going pro. The second that they decided to declare, they were like, where do I build my business? How do I do this? Who do I trust, right? And there are a lot of sharks in the water then, and there are even more sharks in the water now. So for me, I was like, you know, maybe I want to be Jerry Maguire, And so I'm going to go to law school, right? I turned down a job actually in London to do marketing. I have an undergrad degree from Mays Business School at A&M, shout out. And I actually had a job offer to go to London and work for a company there. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to do that. Let me 
go to law school instead. Let me, you know, have three years of extreme torture, self-imposed. And so I decided to do that. Year one in law school, it's called your 1L year. I interned with some agents and I was like, oh, no, I don't like agency. <laughs> Those agents were phenomenal, but agency in general, I talk about this all the time. It just wasn't for me. Some people thrive in that environment. For me, I didn't feel like most agents had the athletes back. And so that's why I didn't really want to do that. And so I talked with my mentor, Christian Denny. He's a prominent sports professor at AM, but also he's a prominent sports attorney in the United States and abroad. And he was like, Alex, you're so, so short-sighted. And I was like, Hey, be nice. And he's like, no, I mean it in like a good way. You had your sights set on being an agent, but there are so many other things that you can do to help athletes outside of being an agent. He said, you could work for a team, a league. You can be an attorney for individual athletes. You could work at companies tangential to sport like Nike. I was like, oh, okay. So I really focused on employment law. I focused on sports law, which isn't its own type of law. It encompasses immigration and negotiation, arbitration, real estate, so many different things. And so I really focused on the classes that were going to help me be a good sports attorney. And I did a lot of alternative dispute resolution, which is negotiation, mediation, arbitration, those types of things, understanding how to listen, how to speak, how to bring people to your side without them feeling like you're turning their head, right? You're being their neck, not like- It was their idea. Right? Yeah, It exactly. was their idea. Exactly. So for me, that's why I decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I want to work for a professional sports team or a league. And- I was able to work for a family right out of law school that owns a few different professional sports teams. And that was really fantastic. They said, you might be able to work on some sports stuff, but you're going to predominantly be working on oil and gas law. And I was like, well, I actually like oil and gas. It's really fun for me. It's super boring, but I'm like nerdy loving it. I love doing all the different fractions. Like how much of a mineral interest do you have? And, you know, people are like, you are such a nerd. I'm like, hell yeah, I am. So I did that and I got to actually lobby the Texas legislature on behalf of the FC Dallas Foundation to allow 50-50 charitable raffles in Texas. So before that was not allowed. So I was able to do that under the guise of like, oh, we'll hire you to do oil and gas work. Maybe you can do sports. And I was like, hell yeah, I got on my resume, like sports box checked, you know, for this famous family. So that was amazing. So that's kind of how I got my start in sports law. That is first. Why were 50 50 raffles not legal? That's I'm sure a whole different conversation. That sounds like up in Canada. Yeah. Up in Canada. I've talked to enough Canadians. It's like you go to like a rec hockey game and there's a 50 50 raffle. Like, well, it was it's everywhere. Fairly common throughout the United States. Just Texas is very Texas anti gambling, anti betting on sports, anti drinking, having out. fun, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I work for a sports book now. It's an absolute blast. So stinks for them. But that's another conversation. Congrats. Maybe it was you. Yeah. Maybe it was you, Alex. You planted that seed. So that way, hopefully in a couple of years, Texas legalized sports betting and we can all have a lot of fun with it. But mm. I think it's really interesting and, and I think it's very important for people to understand. So I, as I said, wrote a book it's called Winning in Sports Business. It's actually how people get jobs in the sports world. And you did it a very common way that a lot of people don't think about. You went and you said, hey, I wanted to be an agent. OK, no, it's not for me. But there's other things in sports that you can do. Sports is an entire industry. Right. Yeah, there's there's things. so many things you could do in the world of sports that's mm -hmm. even just law related, as you laid out before. So many things. Yeah. And by just getting your foot in the door, working with a family that you might be able to do sports, but hey, show me what you can do over here with the oil and gas stuff. And then we'll be able we'll let you check that box. So many people don't 
go that route. They immediately try and work for that team or that agency. Yeah. And it's actually way harder to move up that way sometimes. Sometimes you have to kind of climb the ladder somewhere else, then horizontally come over. You're making more money. You're doing cooler stuff. And you're not just selling tickets right out of the gate. No, yeah. no, uh, n- no, um, no pun intended. Disres- Thank that too, but no disrespect (laughs) to ticket sellers. We need a lot of them as well. But, and I think it's really smart. I just really wanted to point that out because I think that's really important. And so you check that sports box, right? As you said, like, yes, I checked it. Awesome. All right. What's next? We're like, what what do you then do after that box is checked is do you then say like, Hey, Mr. Guy, like I want to work for this team. Do you go find a new job? Is this when you start your own thing? Like what is after you check yeah. that box, that's great. Write that down on the resume, Alex. But who are we then sending yeah. that resume to? Update the resume. Exactly. Step number one, always keep an updated resume that's a master Oof, resume. Yes. Always. Yes. I mean, I still have it. It's like six pages long now. But hell, when I apply for things or I'm like, hey, you want to work with me? Like here, let me curate my resume. So that's like a phenomenal tip that people sometimes forget. But for me, it was a project. So they hired me to work with them for an undetermined length of time until there wasn't work, right? And so I'm a very efficient worker. So I got done with that project in like nice. nine months, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, you. I was very efficient. I shouldn't, my parents are like, maybe you should have just worked a little less hard. And they were like, no, you can't do that. You did the right thing. I was like, okay. So then I was like, what am I going to do? Because I didn't have another job lined up. They didn't have more work for me. And I started applying to different things. And at that point I had, you know, a less than a year, less than a year of legal experience. And I had been out of undergrad for four years at that point, four and a half. So, you know, a lot of jobs in sports that aren't entry-level positions are like, oh, 10 years. I'm like, I'm not even out of college for 10 years. How can I have 10 years of experience? Like I've been in sports since I was seven. Does that count? You know, like I've been dealing with professional athletes since I was seven, but like, does that count? And no, it does not. So I applied for a bunch of different positions with sports teams and they were like, nah, you're not like an old white guy. Nah, you're not someone with 10, 15 years of experience. Sorry, you know nothing. And I was like, okay, well, you guys are really going to regret that. Just eventually you guys are going to be like, should have snapped her up, you know? Do you have that list? Like, do you no, have that list written know. down somewhere? Is it at least I mentally you know where that list is? No. I have no? some names in my head that I'm just like going right. to shout out one day that's like, nice. you doubted me. What's up, man? You know? Sucks. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Maybe make yeah. better decisions next time. No. So, um, but yes. So I applied for a lot of jobs and I got one with a huge multinational company, not in sports. I was like, you know, being the second attorney in charge of a big multinational company that does a lot of employment law could be cool. So I reached out to one of my mentors at the Cowboys and he was like, Alex, take it. I was like, okay. He's like, take it. It'll be good. Like, just because you want to work in sport doesn't mean that skills you acquire in a different industry won't be valuable, especially because it's it was a staffing, a big staffing company. So we did international employment. We did contract drafting. I spoke with people from India to the Philippines, to the UK, to Canada. I worked on a deal up in Canada. So I dealt with so many different people groups. So I loved the multicultural aspect of it. And as a young attorney, I was learning so much. So a lot of times for those who don't know kind of how the legal system works here, usually you go from undergrad 
and you go to a law firm for like five, six, seven years, and then you move in-house. So for me to get a job in-house, well, two jobs in-house, working for the family and then working for the multinational company was really strange. So usually you're about 10, five, 10 years out, then you get one of those jobs. But I knew I didn't want to work at a law firm. It just wasn't the type of culture that I wanted. I love fast paced, but the fact that you essentially are treated kind of like a slave at big law, I didn't want to do that. My family came from Italy as indentured servants. We're good on that type of atmosphere. You know, my family endured that. We good. So I wanted to make sure that I was enjoying it, being able to do a lot of work. So in-house was the best option. And I was fortunate enough to seize those opportunities and see the long game of my career instead of the short-term crap that I had to deal with at some of these organizations. And so for me, I did a ton of work there about a year and a half. And then there core values did not align with mine. The more I learned about the company, their core values, what they wanted to do in the long term, what the underlying mentality was there, I recognized it just wasn't for me. And I had saved enough. I had invested enough money to where I was like, you know, I'm not forced to stay here. I can leave. And I did. And so I left the country for two months and I traveled around and I was like, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? And at that point, I was working for USA Today as a contributor to their NFL wire site. So I had that money coming in and I was working remotely. And this was 2016, back in the day before everybody was remote working, before people knew what Zoom was, right? Before people knew what Slack was even. And so I was able to do that and I kept my foot in the door with sport albeit in journalism. I didn't have a journalism background, but my boss, when I applied, was like, you have such a unique experience. We can't really teach your experience. We can't really teach your love for sport and kind of the background that you have. He said, so we'll teach you how to be a journalist. That'll be easy, but we can't teach you to have your perspective. And so that was really fantastic. Shout out to Neil Kulong because he took a chance on me and it's, you know, what is it? 20, what even year is it? 2021 now. So it's, you know, about six years later and I'm still working for them and I've had a million different roles. Yeah. So that was really cool. And it just goes to show you that your path might look really strange to other people. And they might say like, why are you working for a family that does oil and gas? Why are you working at a company that has headquarters in India and you're doing staffing agreements? I thought you wanted to work in sport. Why are you being a journalist? I thought you wanted to be an attorney. Like, wait, you can be more than one thing in your life. Every experience that you have informs every other experience. So just because you know about this industry and this industry, it doesn't mean that these two industries are not going to have things that you're able to connect and no one else is able to connect because you've had all those different experiences. So it was a really wonderful time in my life to be able to be traveling like that, but still be working in sport, you know, covering games that people couldn't cover because I was in a different time zone. So it was really cool. That is pretty sweet. And I I think it's really important, again, just to kind of point that out, that you were able to connect these dots, right? It's, um, what was it? I think I read a book and they were talking about like Sherlock Holmes or something and how like, Mm. it's obviously not real. Sorry, spoiler everybody. But one thing that he did is actually very, very real and is known in science where if you stop thinking about something completely, the the subconscious actually takes over and starts connecting dots that you were not able to connect consciously. And that is something that you were able to do through your work experiences, consciously and subconsciously. You were able to take all these dots that other people 
wouldn't have seen all these things that people would not have known or understood. You were able to put all that together from this extremely unique perspective. Again, knowing and working and befriending professional athletes since you were seven, nobody else is going to have that. Nobody else is going to have that background. Nobody's going to have those experiences. You're going to come at it from a completely different, unique angle. Whereas shout out all these 21 year old kids and 22 year old kids that are coming out of college that are all trying to do the exact same thing maybe in slightly different ways, you're going to have a completely different look on that. And that's obviously going to be extremely attractive to to employers, to people, to other humans, just trying to have those conversations because you're pretty good at conversations. I don't know, we're 25 minutes in this thing. I'm having a good time. So uh, I think it's really, really important to understand that aspect and also shout out writing for USA Today on the NFL Wire. So explain a little bit, like what exactly were you doing as you said you were in different time zones covering games that people couldn't what exactly were you covering like different countries football like what exactly were you covering and how are you doing it yeah so sometimes the nfl has international games right and so people are like i don't want to have to wake up at you know or whatever and so i'm you know i'm in another country where it's like, oh, that's easy for me. It's 10 a.m. you know so that but also there were some breaking stories and stuff that they didn't know were happening because it was like, oh, it's 2 a.m. and somebody is awake in L.A. and they're like, holy crap, did you know that blah, blah, blah did da, da, da? And so they're writing these stories and I'm like, oh, I can also write that story because I Perfect. saw the tweak too, you know, I those types it. of things. Um, but at USA Today, when I first started working, this was a new organization that they had acquired. So my boss had a concept to write specifically for each team. And USA Today at that point either didn't have the bandwidth or didn't have kind of the know-how on how that might work. And so they reached out to my now boss and he they were like, hey, we really want to acquire what you're doing and we also want you to maybe cover five teams. And so I was like the fourth or fifth person hired. I was the first female hired there. And so it's USA Today, Sports Media Group's NFL Wire site. So that's the actual like long title. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so they hired me and we went from like five sites to 10 to 12 to all teams and then an NFL site. So then we jumped up and then we went to like another specific site and then we went to an athlete site and then we started doing basketball and then we started doing college football. And then, so it blew up and it was insane because a lot of the other networks that were doing these types of things were firing people and we're not getting views. And we just kept increasing and increasing and increasing until USA Today was like, oh, so I guess this was a good decision to acquire hmm. you guys. Right oh, maybe you're not like the redheaded stepchild, no offense to the redheads, but maybe you're not this person that we don't like. Maybe you're kind of a cash cow and we're like, show me the money, Jerry Maguire style, right? Yeah, hey, it came back. Look at that. Exactly. So it's been a lot of fun. I've done on-camera work for them. I've done voiceover. I've created video content. I've written content. I've been able to cover sports betting when PASPA was repealed by the U.S. Supreme Court. So many different things. And it's been such a blessing. And I'm so happy that I was given the opportunity to do that and to be the first female because now we have female editors, contributors, everybody. I mean, it's it was the most inclusive environment I've ever been in. And in sport, For minorities, usually you don't have very inclusive environments. And they created, Neil created such an inclusive environment for me. I was never the female. I was never like the token person. They were like, okay, guys and lady, 
Like that's how they would always address me. It was so sweet. Like the moment I was in that Slack channel, they're like, guys and lady or guys and Alex, you know, <laughs> it was wonderful. They really understood how important it was that I was this new perspective that was coming in, but they never treated me with any sort of ill will. Mm-hmm. And it was such, it's still to this day, it's such a unique environment where I have never been discriminated against based upon my sexual orientation, my gender, my background, nothing. I mean, I'm straight, so I guess they wouldn't. Yeah, you're probably not going to get dis- my sexual orientation, but on that. Well, I mean, hey, never, you know? 2021, I'm not going to ask any questions to anyone at yeah, this point. It's, it's like a lot easier that way. Nothing but... about me, they discriminated against. And I never felt like the woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was wonderful. It's still wonderful. I love it. But we are growing. And so now I'm not the only woman. There are Fantastic. so many of us. And it's oh. so amazing. We have so many minorities and females and just like, it's a wonderful place. And every time we get someone new, I'm like so stoked to learn about who they are because I know that they recruited someone that's phenomenal. That is, it's such a, it's such a great Right. Like to have that culture, as you even said, you came from a company that your core values weren't quite aligned and and yeah. being somewhere, as you said, kind of leaving that place and being able to travel and do everything. But now being there for so long and seeing what those core values are and being aligned and doing the things that you enjoy doing, you get yeah. paid to do work. Right. Like, yeah, that's kind of cool work that you like to do. Everyone hopefully gets yeah. paid to do work. Right. But I think it's really important. And then, as you said, kind of having so many more cool people come into the mix there just has to be such a fun experience, a fun culture, a fun just environment to be in that then just creates more happiness and more productivity and more efficiency and more effectiveness because everybody's happy, right? Like those, again, going back to science, those are some pretty like spot on studies. If you're happy at work, turns out you do more work. Surprise, like would you look at that? So, I mean, as millennials, we have a lot of different streams of revenue. I'm a millennial. I have at any one time, I have five or six different streams of revenue coming in. And I stayed at USA Today. It's been almost six years. If you know the statistics on millennials, if we are not happy, we leave because we have so many other options, right? And the majority of us there are millennials. And it's the longest position we've ever held with anyone ever. So that says says so much about the culture, specifically at the NFL wire sites that they've created. We want to stay because we like it and we're treated fairly and we enjoy the atmosphere. Says a lot. <laughs> what teams What teams did you cover in the beginning? So at first I was hired to cover the Panthers back when Cam Newton was there. They were Ooh, in the yeah, 2016. Bowl, yep. you know, like awesome times, fun times, the dabbing times. I wrote like, oh, a yes. series on like Ooh. dabbing in the news. Who's dabbing? Bill Gates, you know, Serena Williams. That was such a fun article. To, those like series was That's so funny. Yeah. And then I started doing some New York Giants work. Thank and you. now it's whomever, whatever team needs help. That's who I'm creating videos for. I cover maybe six or seven games on a Sunday. And the draft is a crazy time for us. It, oh my gosh. OTA I love the draft. is kind of crazy, but not so much anymore. But the draft is freaking insane. I mean, it's three days of me essentially not leaving my chair. I'm a hot, disgusting mess for like three days trying to get food in my mouth when I can. Uh, but it is so much fun. And the video team specifically is like so great. Justin and Will and Cam are just like so dope. <laughs> That's so much fun. I actually was at the draft this year in Cleveland. Um, huh? We didn't go to the actual draft 
itself but we were just kind of hanging out around cleveland it is such a fun place i had so much fun there um it was an absolute blast i love the draft i actually do on this show specifically every year we do a a draft special too my buddies are very uh very big into the draft they love college football love nfl and they always do like you know 500 mocks a day so we kind of just throw one of these together every year it's been such a blast luke easterling so if you know oh oh, yeah i follow him on twitter somewhere so i'm sure that's awesome cool he's like He's always putting together mocks like the second the draft is over here. He yeah. has like a new, he's so in tune. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I yeah. love it. And so so uh, let's get back to your story a little bit. So you were traveling for a couple months doing this job that you absolutely loved. And I think that's the dream. So I'm kind of curious. Why did you stop traveling? I mean, you're still doing the job you love, right? Yeah. And maybe you're still traveling, but yeah. it sounds like you kind of hit that sweet spot for a couple months where it's like, I'm making enough money. Yeah. I'm paying all my bills. I'm traveling all over the world. I love the work that I do and I can yeah. do it remotely. That sounds pretty awesome. I guess. Yeah. What was it that brought you back to a more semi-formal life? If I Yeah. Know? Well, the U.S. is expensive. Right. Mm. I was able to live in other countries on the money that they were paying me exclusively in the US and not so much. Mm. So for me, I also wanted to practice law and I wanted to have something else in my belt. And so I was like, you know what? Two months is good. Like, let's go home. Let's see the family. And I decided that I wanted to keep practicing law. And so for me, I worked at a few different companies and organizations, worked for startups, uh, kind of did my own thing here and there, worked at a law firm where I consulted with them. So it wasn't full time. It wasn't big law, but I was still practicing law. I was getting to help people that might otherwise not be able to have access to competent counsel. And so I was able to do that. And I was like, you know, I, I really want to still work in sports with law. Like, I really want to do that. And I applied to different jobs and, you know, nobody would take me because I still didn't have enough experience at that point. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to make my own position. I want to have a job in sport as an attorney before I turn X age. I'm going to do that. And so I saw on LinkedIn of all places that this one team this professional indoor soccer team was looking to hire someone in marketing. I was like, well, I have a marketing degree. Maybe I can get them to like, also let me practice some law in house attorney. Like I'm (laughs) going to create my own position and provide a deck and then pitch it to them when I get there. I love that. I mean, especially like an indoor soccer league, I'm sure they'll take literally any help they can get. So very smart on your part, Alex. Well, not any help. They, yeah. Well, Indoor soccer really? was around, yeah, indoor soccer was around before the MLS, and it was actually the hottest ticket in town, in Dallas specifically, and throughout the United States. Uh, they were the first, one of the first games to sell out American Airlines Center when it first opened. Um, it was like- This is all news to me. CBS, everywhere. It was indoor soccer and tattoo. If anyone is listening who is over the age of like 45, they know who these players are. They were like the cream of the crop phenomenal and it was around before the mls it was like one of the top leagues in the united states and then they had some issues and mls came and people like we'd rather watch these players outside in the heat and i was like why because indoor soccer is air conditioned with nice seats but okay so now they were like okay like revival let's bring back indoor soccer we need people to help. And the Dallas sidekicks specifically were one of the most storied franchises, one of the most winning franchises. They had tattoo, everybody, 
so many people at the Dallas Mavs worked at the Dallas Sidekicks. Like if you go into like sea level and all of that, they're like, oh, I used to be the blank for this league or the blank for this league. So it was kind of like a like a funnel into mm-hmm. pro traditional pro sports, MLB, NFL and uh, NBA and WNBA. And so I was like, you know, let me just pitch this to them. And so I walked into that meeting and I was like, I'm going to walk out with a job. I'm pitching this, even though they want interns, even though this is not exactly what they're looking for, they need me. And I made a compelling enough argument. So I did 50% law. I did 50% business and marketing. Um, and basically 200% of the time <laughs> I was working there. Right. So I was like looking at not having a law firm life because I didn't want to be treated, you know, like a servant. And then I get into this position where essentially I set myself up. I was going to say, be working seven days a week. You I'm asked like, oh, for this, <laughs> but maybe, you know, it's, it's a personal choice. So maybe it feels a little bit better, but yeah, you pretty yeah, much yeah. And also it was what I wanted to do. So for me, it was less, it was really difficult and I worked all the time and I essentially got no days off and it was really stressful, <laughs> but I wanted to be in sport and I wanted to be helping to build a franchise. I wanted to be remodeling the franchise from the inside out. I wanted to build the charitable giving program. I wanted to work with the underprivileged kids. I wanted to go to the children's hospitals and bring our players and do charity auctions. You know, I wanted to do all of that. I wanted to build the internal policies and procedures, review all the contracts, get sponsors. I wanted to do that. And I was able to. And I did everything from player relations to game day PR to being on camera when we did interviews to the legal work. Yeah, I did everything. And it was so fulfilling in the sense that I was learning so much so quickly that people are like, oh, you graduated law school in this year. You can't have this much experience. I'm like, bet me. Bet me, but other people in the sports industry who are expert generalists or multi-potentialites, Renaissance people get it. And they're very receptive to the diverse amount of skills that I bring to the table. So, yeah. I love it. And then 2020, March happened. I no longer had a position there, but it was really a blessing in disguise because then I was able to found my own business where I do strategic sports consulting. And I'm also still able to do legal work at that law firm because a lot of people right now need legal help. And the firm that I work at does legal help for very affordable prices for people that wouldn't be able to be represented by counsel. And so I'm able to give a lot of advice to them. That's very valuable for them, for their small businesses as well. And then I have my strategic sports consulting where I help people grow and build their business within sport. I can help reorganize franchises. I'm talking to a WNBA team right now to help them grow their brand. I'm working with a division one football program to help their athletes with name, image, and likeness building. So for me, it's like, it's all full circle. You know, and it's it's wonderful to be in this position right now to be able to at, you know, 4.30, 5.30 p.m. hop on a podcast and talk to you about my life. I mean, you know, it's I'm highly blessed that this is what my life is right now because it's not always been this easy and this wonderful. I'm sure it's not easy and, and you work very, very hard, but you like what yeah, you do, which I makes like it a it. little easier, right? Yeah, it makes it more like you're putting together a puzzle. And you're mm. like, oh, this is like exciting, but sometimes anxiety inducing, but it makes it easy in that way because I like putting together these types of puzzles. I like seeing people's problems be solved because I was able to sit down with them for 45 minutes and be like, okay, 
this is your problem. This is how we fix it. Let's move forward. And then getting an email from them that's like, oh my God, this totally helped me. Or this totally How did you worked. know? Or, yeah. They're like, oh, I'm in a WNBA meeting and they're like writing all these notes like, oh man, I never thought of it this way. I'm like, see all these sport, sports leagues that were like, oh, we're not really that interested in hiring you. I'm like, bet. Yep. <laughs> jokes on them jokes on them now you like your life even more you get to do what you want when you now want how you want it teams and leagues Pretty and sweet. people like i'm not glued to just one organization and maybe in the future i will be and i'll still do my consulting on the side like anything is possible but right now i'm able to talk to so many diverse people from different organizations and countries and help them lead their best lives as well do you see how it all just comes full circle again? I think we've made like three full circles at this point, but it came yes. full circle again, which I think is really And the Division One team that I'm going to be working with, I actually interned with them when no I was way. in school. That's pretty cool. So Look it's like, that. wow. <laughs> that is sweet. I mean, name image likeness specifically in the college space is already just bonkers. I had a friend on this show recently, only a couple episodes ago, Jason Bergman, who owns a company that helps student athletes and athletes find brand partnerships yeah. specifically. And he's been saying the, the amount of athletes that have been coming through the platform that, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous clip that these athletes are gaining at a minimum, at least product sponsorship, but many of them are getting actually paid to post on social media, to talk about these brands that they're yeah. already using. And I think it is just so, so incredible from a lawyer's standpoint, what are some of the positives that you've seen? But I yeah. also think we need to talk because there's going to be some negatives, whether we've seen them or not yeah. yet. So I guess I'm kind of just curious from specifically a legal standpoint, because I haven't been able to talk about this with a with a lawyer yet. What are some of those positives and negatives that you've seen with, with the recent NIL changes? Yes. So I can talk about it from both the legal and the business perspective, and it's going to kind Love of like overlap, right? So- for me specifically, the type of consulting that I do with athletes on this is less on the legal side and more on the business side. However, for the context of this conversation, this is not legal advice. This is solely me talking and informing people about my thoughts. Disclaimer. So, thank you. There we go. So the great thing, I have been talking about how the NCAA has been writing these athletes and like squeezing them for all they are able to offer and not allowing them to do squat to make money, right? I have been talking about this since college. I have been very adamant about how much I dislike a lot of the rules and regulations that the NCAA saddles these athletes with. So that being said, I am stoked that the U.S. Supreme Court agreed with me <laughs> that the NCAA was violating these athletes' rights. So it's wonderful. They can make bank. A lot of these athletes never going to go pro. Sorry, guys and girls, you're probably not going to go pro. There's a very small percentage of you that do. However, now you are able to monetize your name, image, and likeness when you are the most valuable that you're going to be in your sport. The most valuable. And that's wonderful. However, pitfalls. A quick buck now might not be the best for you in the long term. So a business comes to you with like, oh, we'd like to use your name, image, and likeness in perpetuity, and we'd like to give you X amount to post. However, if you mess up, we can you know, terminate your contract, and then you owe us liquidated damages, or you owe us a fee because you didn't fulfill your obligations, right? There are those organizations out there, and there are people that are saying, we'd love to have you as an athlete of ours. 
but they're not really having the athlete's best interests at heart. Going back to when I didn't want to work for you. Yep. Right? Sharks. So for me, that's what I want these athletes to recognize. Just because you think you might make a quick buck now, you might be saddled with a lot of obligations for the long term. Even if your contract says maybe it's for a year or six months or three months, you might have a non-compete clause, a clause in there that tells you you cannot work with other brands that are the same and similar as the brand that you're currently working with, sometimes for years on end. Now, some states don't allow non-competes. Texas does. So if you're in Texas, if you're in I think Florida allows it as well. I'm not a Florida licensed attorney. However, there are a lot of states that do allow it, right? So, and I'm not a California licensed attorney, so consult with a California attorney. However, there are a lot of states that do allow it. So you might be getting into a contract that you think is short term when really you're saddled with this brand for two years, getting paid for only three months, right? So for me, when I'm consulting with these athletes, when I'm consulting with athletic departments, I am teaching these athletes, okay, Number one, what type of business do you want to build? Do you want this to be solely based around your name, image, and likeness in sport? Or are you also taking physics classes and you want to build a business based around some cool science subscription box that you want to build and send, right? What type of business are you looking to do? Do you want to do both of those things? Fabulous. But let's figure out, number one, what type of business and or businesses you're building. Then let's figure out Do you want that to be solely during your time in school? Do you want it to be a business that you, your kids can later inherit? Do you have kids now and you want them to be part of your brand, right? So you really want to think about it from the long-term perspective, because when you're leaving school, if you've already had a business that has had even a modicum of success and you want to go into, you know, a big company and work for them, you already have a literal resume that says, I built a business and it was successful, Or if you want to then scale your business and apply for grants later and you never want to work for another person in your life and you only ever want to work for you, then you have a business coming out, right? And for all the parents out there who are sending their kids to these schools to be student athletes, they're going to be getting an education, but they also might be getting an education where they leave with a viable business. So if they are studying something that you think is not going to give them the real world experience to get a real job, you know, like art history or psychology or something like that, where people are like, oh, you can't make that much money. Who gives a bleep? They are you say business. You know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. should be able to take the classes that they want to take and then build a business. But if they're not having the people that are advising them on how to build that long-term business and what the goal is and what type of services or products they might offer, then they're going to be signing deals that just make literally no sense and actually harm their brand in the future. You can obviously tell I'm very passionate about this. Yeah, very. Athletes get screwed by these deals already or they're entering into deals that are so terrible for them for the long term and nobody is there to advise them. But I, what I really love about that, and I'm going to call it a rant. I hope that's cool with you. What oh, I really loved I about that, yes. <laughs> what I really loved about that, though, was you could take pieces of that and connect it back to you, right? Mm-hmm. It's you know why do these college athletes? Why are they not allowed to just use their name, image, likeness? Well, your work, you you grew up with athletes from all these different countries who, at the time, probably could have got some significant dollars from yes. businesses in their country if the NCAA allowed it, right? So that's one thing. Uh, Obviously, the legal background and understanding the terms and the conditions of these contracts where many of these athletes are just seeing, I only have to post for three months, you're going to give me $1,500. This is awesome. From the business background of how do I build my own business? Well, you've done that. So just, I love how all of those, the pieces (laughs) of that rant could come back to you again, 
draw another one of those circles. Yeah. And you're, you're able to, again, look at all these experiences that you've had and put all these puzzle pieces together. I personally hate puzzles, but I'm glad you like them. Put all these puzzle pieces together to be able to show that full picture. Whereas many other people that, you know, they may be going to don't have all the pieces to that yeah. puzzle and they're not yeah. able to put that together like you have. And I think, I think this, this segue is really well into the esports discussion because we have seen one thing was very interesting. It was a few, I want to say either beginning of the pandemic um, or a little bit before the pandemic, LeBron James Jr. Bronny James started, I think with phase clan, if I'm not mistaken, and he started to essentially monetize his name. Now he's in high school mm-hmm. and he plays on an AAU team and all these like internet, you know, people who are just probably the worst people on planet earth. Cause that's what most of the internet is made up of. But all of them were like, well, now he's not gonna be able to play in college. Now he's not gonna be able to do this, 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 and this. Yeah, lo and behold, it turns out now you can, you can monetize your image. Like it. So it's not a big deal, but esports was a huge, huge driver for many of these athletes, YouTube as well. I think there was a, a, a YouTube like trick shot star who then became like a, a college a soccer player and they made the NCAA made him turn off his the the subscription or the the advertisement on his channel because he wasn't allowed to make money on his channel even though he made the entire channel and gained the x amount of the subscribers well before he even made it to college and that was just that was another ridiculous one but specifically with esports what what is it about esports that you have fallen in love with? Because all over your websites, it's sports and esports, sports and esports, and you're speci- specifying esports. Where is the? I want. Do we have an esports rank coming up? Because I'm really excited if we do. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between athletes and traditional sports and esports, and absolutely, people and organizations taking advantage of them. So yeah, there's definitely a similarity there. However, when March of 2020 hit. I had already been looking into esports. I had someone in the front office, Cooper, who loved online poker and esports. So he taught me a lot about what are esports, what's gaming, because those are two separate things. Mm-hmm. Gaming is the huge overarching globe of digital sport. And then esports is the professional. So there's traditional sports and then there's NBA and WNBA right like teeny little and esports is a part of gaming the big pie so i got interested in it and i recognized that esports really had the technology down their fan base was engaged educated they could hop from twitch they could hop over to a different game they could go to a tournament online or in person they knew everything And traditional sports teams, leagues, fans didn't have that same level of education or ability to hop from Amazon Prime to watch the WNBA Commissioner's Cup to hop over to ESPN to watch one of the live games. It's not something that they're really that educated on. Now, the fans of a lot of the leagues where women are playing are more educated on average because those leagues have done a really good job educating them how to watch the games on different mediums. However... I thought, wow, maybe we could implement some of this. And the league I was working for was like, I'm not interested. The team were like, I'm not interested. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. March of 2020 hits. All sports are paused. All traditional sports are paused. Esports gets a little bit of a hit. Bounce back in like a month and a half, right? Because everybody's like, well, transition everything online. And the fans are like, sweet, what link do we need to use? Been here for years, exactly. And so for me, I was like, this is amazing. Traditional sports has so much to learn from esports. 
in terms of technology and growth and community engagement and fan engagement and um, organic growth and guerrilla marketing and all of that. And so I said, you know, I have experienced that a lot of these individuals in esports don't have because either they're not attorneys or they haven't had much experience in business in general that I have had because the industry is much more, much more nascent. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, is nascent the right word? Young? I'm always get that word wrong. I think nascent. Yeah. It's better than naive, right? Naive kind of has like a negative connotation to it. I think nascent. Younger industry. Uh, When you say it like that, Alex. (laughs) And um, so I was like, you know, the sports industry has a lot to learn. I really want to kind of get involved. And so I started getting involved. I started interviewing people in esports. I started learning about NBA 2K and all different titles and gaming and esports and the differences and all of that. I'm like, you know, there are the sports that are directly related to traditional sports like Madden and FIFA and NBA 2K. But then there are other sports, uh, other titles like, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog. I played that back in the day, you Me know, too. and then there's like World of Warcraft and Call of Duty and all of these other titles where they are competing for boatloads of freaking cash. And in Europe and Asia, it's like it's a cult. It's essentially like this phenomenal esports cult where these players are making freaking bank. And I was like, you know, this is cool, but there's a lot of stuff that's wrong in the industry. Like these players are getting taken advantage of. There are literally no no standard labor mm-hmm. laws that they're following. The contracts are so disparate from team to team, player to player, league to league. There are no governing bodies that are have any sort of real power. Man, I could really help this industry. And so I started talking to people and networking. And now people are coming to me from the esports industry and saying, Alex, we need help here. We want to interview you about here. We want to know what the problems are in the esports industry. What are the great things that we should hype on? How do we build our business? We've never done a sponsorship deck, all those types of things. And I'm helping them. And it's it's fabulous because I'm learning about all this great new technology. And I'm not old, but New technology is coming out all the time. And I am learning directly from the source of some of these people who are like users from day one. And so I'm getting a really cool education on esports, gaming and new technology and bleeding edge technology. It's literally amazing. I love it. I think it's really important that you're you're doing it for the right reason, right? You're you're trying to help people because as you said, I've yeah. I try and like every six months I have a friend, his name's Reed Trimble. He does some really, really cool stuff in the in- industry. And I just pretty much reach out to him, just like, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? Cause <laughs> I'm sure a lot of shit's happened and I want to know about it. So I just kind of yeah. have him come on for like 30 minutes and he just kind of tells me everything that happened because it's so it changes so fast and so quickly. So and it's yeah. so crazy some of the stuff that's going on he always described it as the wild west now it's kind of starting to i guess calm down for lack of a better term especially because these last 18 19 20 months i don't even know where we are at at this point but it has had such an eye the world has had such an eye on esports especially from i would say what march to about july august when it was literally the only game in town like i downloaded a twitch page I started watching streamers. Like I started to understand. It's fun, right? It's fun. They're funny people. Like they're just (laughs) just people. They're funny. Like, so I I really started to enjoy that and and who they are and, and understand. And as you say, like so much of it is personality based and that's, essentially all sports media is now too right like it's all personality based it's just frustrating from a standpoint but like if you can kind of just get your head around that it's like these are the greatest athletes in the world 
just playing a different game. Like that's all it really comes down to. Like maybe you don't like the game that much. Well, thankfully there's like a million video games out there. Hop on Twitch. You'll probably find somebody or some game that you like and you can just go watch it. And that's kind of, that was the introduction to me. That's when I first started live streaming because I saw like live streaming so much more fun. Like, let's screw up. It's more fun that way. Like, let's just kind of see what happens. So that, that was a big reason why I started live streaming and that's helped the podcast grow significantly because now we're live on multiple different channels and then we're going to share it and then we're going to reshare and do all that yeah. stuff, which is fun. But it's just, it was so interesting to me. And I, I just, again, want to commend you for doing the right thing because turns out doing the right thing is usually the best thing in the end because now are you late to the party? Not really. Like, has esports been around since like the early 2000s? Yes. Has it had its time in the sun? Yes. Only for the last couple of years, though. So if you can be that authoritative figure, if you can be the person people start to go to, I don't know how old you are, Alex. You don't seem that old. So I'm assuming in five, 10 years, when it's even more popular than it is now, because that just the growth of it is an absolute hockey stick at this point, you're going to be one of the smartest people and they're going to pay you a load of money which so <laughs> kudos and congratulations to you alex thank you yeah and there are people within the esports industry from the legal standpoint who have much more experience in esports than i do but for me it's about the relationships i'm building i go into every single meeting or interview or networking opportunity saying listen i'm not from esports i wasn't born into esports it's something that i'm relatively new to so i'm not an expert by any means however i do have a few ideas here and there that are going to be able to help you so if you want to talk to me let me know and that's how i am with everything though i am never a hard seller i've never liked to be hard sold to i want people to come to me because they know number one they can trust me and number two that they're going to learn something from me that's going to be valuable and at the end of the day if those two things are true phenomenal. I can't wait to help those types of people and those organizations. But if you don't want to work with me because, you know, you don't like me because I'm a female or you don't like me because I don't have you know, 15 plus years of experience doing X, that's fine. However, I'm an expert generalist, which means that I know a lot about a lot. And if I don't know, I'm never going to bullshit you. I will tell you, I don't know that either I can connect you with someone who does or I'll figure it out. I mean, law school taught me how to research anything and figure out the answer to anything. It changed the way that I think and problem solve. So just because I don't know the answer doesn't mean that I can't find the answer or put you in contact with someone who has the answer. But it's, I'm always going to tell you that. It's the business background. It's the law background. Again, it's it's working. It's being around international students and, and people since yeah. a very young age. It's speaking different languages. It's traveling the world. Again, all those experiences, that huge, huge, huge puzzle, puzzle that you've been putting together your whole life is a much clearer picture much clear clear i think it's clear much clear much more clear much more clear much picture clearer. is it clear clearer clearer sounds weird much clearer picture <laughs> than many other people are going to have right because yeah. you have this and and i think it's absolutely fantastic and then on top of it you've been creating content <laughs> for a very long time right <laughs> so you know what it's like to be on the internet and be out there and have people say dumb things to you because they're dumb people right oh, i'm sure yeah. you got a lot of that but i also before we end we only have a couple more minutes here i know i want to talk a little bit about your book as well as your podcast yeah we've talked a little bit about both of them only yeah. the fact that we each have one whatever, yeah. not a big deal. But I guess tell me a little bit about which came first, chicken or the egg, and why you loved, loved writing the book so much and why podcasting is just the most fun thing on planet Earth. Yes, I love podcasting. So for me, when March 2020 hit, I knew that I needed to do something different. Nice. And I thought, you know, 
people need to recognize that they're not defined by their title or who they work for, that they're people first, humans first, right? And that you can be anything that you want to be. And so you want to be a multi-potentialite. You want to do a ton of different things. You want to have a background in business and journalism and law. Go for it. Do it. If you fail at it, you know it wasn't for you or you know you need to try a different way. You need to iterate. Being a renaissance person or an expert generalist is the best thing that you can do most of the time. Knowing a lot about a lot before you specialize has been proven to be a phenomenal way to go about your life. So for me, I wanted to have a podcast where people resonated with that. And so it's called Your Potential for Everything. So is my business. So is my book series. And essentially, I talk with people who are multi-potentialites and we talk about all different things from marketing to networking to entrepreneurship. Um, I have series that are coming up that are going to be women in sports and then professional sports as well. And so I'm talking to these athletes and these people within the sports industry who have done a lot of different things, who don't just have one specialty that they've worked on their entire life, right? And it informs every other opportunity. And so I knew too that some people are not auditory. Some people are visual. They like to read things and not just listen. So I said, for each series, I'm going to write a short book, either one and a half to three hours. And it's going to be a book that details more in depth, whatever that series was. So for networking in the virtual age, I talked about lunch club and how to optimize your LinkedIn profile and all of that. And then I have one for side hustles and entrepreneurship. You want to start a business? You want to understand how to build your business? Fantastic. Listen to these eight episodes, buy the book. They're very inexpensive, the books, but they are packed full with a lot of information. The series is Your Potential for Everything. And all of it is on my website, yourpotentialforeverything.com. You want to work with me? You want to bring me in as a consultant? All that stuff is on that website. And ultimately, you can be what you want to be in life. And that can be a multitude of different things. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the journey that you're on or the job that you're pursuing or the fact that you're going to be doing oil and gas, but I thought you wanted to do sports law. Don't ever let that dissuade you from actually going towards your goal. Because the only person that knows what the puzzle is going to look like at the end is you. And that's all that matters. You know what the pieces are. You know what the box on the the, the picture on the front of the box looks like other people don't. So don't let them inform you as to what that picture needs to look like. Cause you're the one that's painting that picture. You're the one that's putting that puzzle together. Rant that, I was going to say, <laughs> I wanted to let that one sit for a second because I think that was absolutely incredible. Alex, this was amazing. Uh, please go check out Alex's podcast. There will be a link in the description on YouTube as well as in the show notes for the podcast. Please go buy our books because it sounds like I'm going to go buy them. So that's fantastic. Again, <laughs> links in the description and everything, links to your website, all your social medias, everything will be down there. I assume the SEO has been incredible up to this point. So your potential for everything across the board, essentially. Yep. Your potential for everything on everything. Yep. Love it. <laughs> that's absolutely fantastic. Alex Sinatra, CEO and founder of Your Potential for Everything Sports Attorney, Esports Attorney, and Consultant. Alex, thank you so much. This has been I'm just absolutely delightful. I appreciate it. Yes, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. And keep doing these wonderful episodes because people need to understand that sports can be a business. It can also be for the love of the game, but there's a business component. One hundred percent. There's about two hundred and sixty-seven of these, so hopefully one of them resonates with somebody along the line. So I appreciate it, Alex. Thank you for being here. Thank you for everyone to listening. Time's the only thing we don't get more of. So I appreciate you guys giving me a little bit of yours, and I hope you make it just a wonderful day. Yeah.